Hi everyone and welcome to Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We are so glad that you are with us tonight. We are of course broadcasting live right now, but um, you could also be listening to us on the podcast that's recorded as well as the recorded video on either our YouTube, Facebook, or um, or Periscope channel. So um, anyways, whatever way you're joining us, we are excited. But if you are joining us live, please um, just share this this video with those that um, that you may think might be interested in our conversation and um, and also know that you can put your comments and questions in the feed and we are going to make those as part of our, our um, conversation tonight as well and um, our hope and prayer is that we will empower you by encouraging you and giving you information and what great information we have tonight. Um, my special guest is Judy Monday. She is returning to our show. Um, I just want to welcome you, Judy, and Thank welcome you, you back. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Yeah, it is. I know the last time we talked about curriculum and you had so mm -hmm. much to share. And um, I definitely will make sure when we finish the YouTube that on the YouTube video, I'll put a link to that interview as well. Cause I, oh, good. It's, good. it's going to be um, good information, but tonight we're specifically talking about how to write a homeschool, what we call an IEP in the schools, SEP. And Judy will explain the difference between the two when we get started. Um, but it's a whole chapter she has in this book that she wrote called Teaching a Child with Special Needs at Home and at School. And um, she's gonna talk about how you can find that book too, because it's like the encyclopedia for homeschooling a child <laughs> who, who has special needs. And so I definitely want um, to to let you guys know how you can find that too, because I, I think when I read through it the first time, Judy, I was like underlining everything. I'm like, oh, this oh is such good information. So, um, so anyways, I, um, I definitely um, would encourage um, you to, to hang on, stay part of this conversation, and, um, and just hear what Judy has to share with us because it's a wealth of information that she brings. And so, um, so Judy, just to get us started, can you tell us just a little bit about you and, um, sure. and kind of why this, this is this niche of uh, homeschooling has um, is is just somewhere close to your heart. <laughs> yeah, um, I had started out as a public school teacher, and I um, no, that's not actually true. I, I kind of opened up the door into Christian education after I was saved. Didn't do that until my youngest was probably in fourth grade and, and working in a regular school system. At the time, he was in a private school because the public schools in our area were not up to his ability level. Mm. And um, I, I could see that I wasn't able to meet the children's needs. There were things that I had not learned in having a master's degree that, that just left me ill-equipped to... to respond to their special needs. So when I learned there was a master's program in special education um, starting at Regent University, I I knew that was what the Lord had called me to join up with. And um, as the years went by, um, as I pursued that degree, I uh, had to do it in pieces because my husband had a heart attack in the middle of it. Oh, wow. um, took some time off to take care of him. But um, God and I had this long argument about the fact that I knew I was supposed to be a teacher for Christian schools, and God very clearly closed every door and every window and put me smack in the public schools. Hmm. And it was interesting because 
I had many opportunities to minister to the students and to the parents during that time. Um, but after 14 years of stress and running into brick walls and administrators that were hostile to telling parents what their rights were and what the children really needed, yeah. um, I knew it was time to get out or my health was going to take a, an irreparable beating. I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. Mm. So I left the public schools and felt that I had nowhere else to go because I was a teacher in public school. And there was a night when the Lord opened a door for me and just said, you're an educator, not just a teacher, you're an educator. Mm. And it was like all the walls came tumbling down and I knew something else was on. And so mm. one by one, I began to help children with homeschool needs mm. and word of mouth spread. And before I knew it, I had um, begun to work for children who had homeschool needs and tutoring at the first, and then they wanted a little bit of testing and a little bit of tutoring. And um, so I, I opened my business, which is called His Place for the Lord. It's His Place, but it's for help in school. And it became a very business, busy business, I guess is the word I want. I was working hard, and um, I have – probably worked with hundreds of kids and, and, and parents. And as I've gotten closer into my 70s, I thought, you know, there's only one of me and a lot of needs to go around. And that was the, that was the trigger for writing the book. Mm-hmm. I thought I want to leave that legacy, but I want, to make, I want to make parents feel encouraged and equipped. I want to educate them about what are these special needs, but then what do you do with them? How do you teach them with really good strategies, not just, you know, take a guess and try, but really effective strategies that have worked over 30 years of my working with kids. And I had the book all in my mind, ready to go. And my husband, who's a PhD said, where are your references? What are your citations? (laughs) And I went, "Um, well, really there, I didn't have any because it had all come from 30 years of working in my heart and in my head. So I went backwards and I began to find that the the things I had been doing all along had a solid research base and a lot of effective instruction. Um, A lot of it's called evidence-based nowadays, but that drew me to where I am now, which is as I'm at the age where I run out of stamina, I'm, I'm able to help, but in a more limited way. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been a journey, but you know I, I feel like I've been doing what the Lord wanted me to do, and I'm interested to see what He's going to have for me in the next season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's an awesome story, and I'm excited that you know we help a few people, and we don't realize you know where it's going to go. And um, now you can look back and say, look at all the people that have been sent my way, and the families. And oh yeah. And oh, yeah. just the experience now that allows you to be able to share with, with even more. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, it's amazing how the Lord works and the Holy Spirit gives wisdom as you're talking to them. I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Oh, yes. you, exactly. You go, where did that come from? And you know exactly where the answer was. <laughs> exactly. It's like the interview I did last Thursday. I was exhausted afterwards, but I was like, wow. <laughs> didn't realize I had that in me. Yeah. <laughs> it just came through me. <laughs> and I love, I love those moments. I love those moments. And the parents go, you've told me more about my child in, in the last 20 minutes of being with them than I was able to figure out all these times I've tried to teach him. And I go, mm-hmm. 
it's not me. It's not me. Yeah, exactly. But I I love those moments. I love working with kids and I love working with parents. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So that's, that's kind of my story. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. And I also want to thank um, Verboso. They are our sponsor for this episode of Empowering Homeschool Conversations. About halfway through, we'll get a, a little bit of information about them that I'm going to share. But um, uh, we're just going to continue this conversation. And um, again, if you have comments or questions, I, I know we have viewers watching and they're, they're giving thumbs up and hearts. So, um, so thank you for that. And um, we'll just continue to watch the feed, but we'll also continue our, um, the questions that we came up with ahead of time to fill in. So Judy, as we get started, um, I know that what, in the title, I, I put IEP or SEP and how to write it. Can you tell us the difference? Uh, yes. What those two things are. Yes. Um, and I think I think Hope um, Faith Barron's, uh, I think, wasn't she the one that did the article on your website from um, HSLDA about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so let me just briefly clarify. The um, IEP is what we call a legal term of art that is reserved for public schools and public school documents, public school testing, public school eligibility, public school services. And so we really, when we try to present an IEP, um, if we were to homeschool a child and the child were to transfer into a public school and we said we had an IEP, the school would think it was legally obligated to provide whatever services that we had been providing the child at home. Mm -hmm. And that would be misleading. So we have come up with the equivalent concept of a student education plan, which basically provides a description of the child's weaknesses, some key goals that we want to see them achieve, and how we're going to measure that and keep it accountable. So the SEP is really the appropriate name for what we want to provide for a homeschool child who's lacking in a particular area, has unusual weaknesses, maybe just needs extra time for testing. It could be very simple or it could be very extraordinary. Um, I have one student whose parent keeps in touch with me and he is 13 years old and learning to crawl. He has significant neurological damage. So we, we cover the whole spectrum. When when a student has an SEP, this child can make progress and he has, Mm -hmm. but we've got another child, maybe even a gifted child who's duly exceptional and has learning disabilities. So the SEP can cover any one of those areas and just provide an individualized education. That's really as close to appropriate as we can provide. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit on this because, um, because we have um, social security administrations and Medicare that ask parents for their IEP. And mm-hmm. I want to let you parents know that if you write a document, that is what they're talking about. They want your document, not a school's document um, exactly. for those services. So, Sometimes you are going to have to put IEP on the top of your document in order for those um, referring agencies to understand the lingo because that is all they know to how to talk. And if you call them, tell them you have a student education plan, they'll say, well, we want your IEP. <laughs> if they don't know. And that's, that's, good for, that's good for me to know. I had, not, I had not heard that with dealing with Social Security and Medicaid. Yes. Yeah. Some little pockets have started asking for that. Um, we see it a lot in Texas, um, but mm-hmm. they won't give the funding unless they see that document. Interesting. So, um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
And of course, then there are some parents who feel like they have to get the child tested through the public school. And then there are the parents who do not want to put their toe in the door. And, and I respect that position as well. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so you just have to kind of be able to, to know what, what you're comfortable with, but you can create the document. You can have the school create the document. Um, you are not forced one way or the other. Um, and you can use private evaluators, which I think we have a question about. Are you okay? Kind of going off on, onto that. I, I'm here to meet everybody's needs and, and if we can use our, our script, if you will, but I'm, I'm happy to go off trail. Okay, well, Sarah asks, um, a friend just asked me today whether or not she should have someone do an evaluation for her middle-aged, uh, middle school-aged son for whether or not he needs an IEP in order to get accommodations in college. It's a good question, and it's one that I've, I've encountered quite frequently. Um, if it's a middle school child, um, there are two reasons why I think it's important to have an evaluation, and one is it actually provides you with an accurate picture of what your child's strengths and weaknesses are, and that informs what you might need to be doing to make adjustments in how you're teaching, what level you want, whether it's realistic to try and suit them at a certain pace. But there's also the question of getting them ready for college because accommodations in college do happen, but only if you can document that you have a genuine need for them. And in my experience, um, to answer Sarah's question, colleges don't particularly respond well when you suddenly show up at 12th grade and say, oh, by the way, I need extra time for testing. I need this accommodation. I need that accommodation. Right. So if you have an ongoing record, even in your SEP of having given those accommodations, and you can explain the reason why, mm-hmm. um, it's more likely the colleges are going to be agreeable to supporting you in that. I will point out that once the student has those accommodations in the document that they get and when they're admitted, it's still the student responsibility to inform each professor as they go through class. It's, it's that transition into advocating for themselves. Right. But the, the accommodations, um, it's, it's wise to have them in place it also helps the child have a better footing at doing his best with optimizing the conditions without enabling. Right. It's a fine line. Yeah. It's a yeah, fine they line. They to advocate for themselves and, and, and use those. But, but like you said, Judy, the, those, that history, the recording, the history is what speaks louder than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, even on testing for the SAT and ACT, the college sure. board, getting that information. And, uh, and that's, course, that's, one, that's one of the benefits of having the SCP from, the, from an early stage because it gives you that record of whether what you're doing works. Mm-hmm. And so you can make those adjustments and fine-tune it, and you've got documentation. Yeah, 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 that's so true. And um, the, more, the more documentation you have, the better, <laughs> the more you can advocate. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, you know, I guess one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, how is an SEP or IEP like planning a trip? Um, because you talk about that in your book. And I think that leads into a lot of just what you were talking about. And I love that analogy yeah. um, of, you know, it being a long-term type of thing. Yeah. It's, it's a marathon with, with the kids who have special needs because the special needs in many cases are neurologically based and they are not mm-hmm. likely to just fade away as the child gets older, but right. they learn to make adjustments. They learn to make those 
even their own accommodations. They, they may find that it works better for them to type than to work longhand, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when we go on a journey, and I know from many, many trips over the years with my family, um, we start out and we know where we are and we try to plan where we want to go. But there's no way to measure our progress if we haven't had a plan, okay? Yeah. And, and we won't know if you think of it as, as even looking at the odometer on your car or looking at road signs. You don't know whether you're still on the right road if you're not keeping track. Uh-huh. Um, I remember we had a new Garmin, and we were looking for a Cracker Barrel restaurant in North Carolina or South Carolina, and it took us to a gravel road. We, it, it was off by 500 feet and we'd missed the turn. Oh, no. But because we knew what we were looking for, we knew we had to go back and make a course correction. And that's what I love about having SCPs for students is if we're keeping regular accountability of how the child is doing, and that, that's personal. Like each person decides how rigidly, how OCD versus how liberal they want to be. Right. Um, you will have a sense of whether your child is making that progress and or not. And if you, they're not making progress, you may have a dozen options to fix it. You may change just how much time you spend on it. You may decide they're on the wrong curriculum. You may decide you're working too fast. Mm. I know with family trips, sometimes with children, we tried to cover way too many miles a day. Oh, yeah. Back up mm-hmm. and spend a night resting, hanging out at a new place. So, the SCP kind of becomes that that tool that, you know, I know where I started, but I also know where I'm going, and, and how am I doing to get there? Yeah. And what am I doing if we're not getting there? I, I, I don't want to ever give parents the idea that, that they're failing because the child's not making the progress they expect, because That's it's true. good to know where the child is. It's really helpful to know where they are and then say, what are my options? And that's one of the things that I wanted to put in my book was to say, you've got so many other tools that I want to let you know you can try. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the best example I can give. Mm -hmm. And and you asked me earlier in the document, how is it different from a lesson plan? And the very short answer is the SCP is a long-term document. It's, it's not a week or a day. Um, You don't, you don't write your lesson plans from an SCP. You mm-hmm. you just you you have a long term goal and you say where do I want them at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and, and is that realistic? Um, some parents worry the child is not on grade level in every subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's frankly very typical for students who have a special need exactly. of any kind. And and okay, well, they're not on grade level. I wasn't on grade level in math, and my poor dad was an accountant and couldn't understand it. (laughs) He spent years letting me know that that was just totally confusing for him, and I was sure something was wrong. I was missing recess every day because I couldn't get my fourth grade math facts. Oh, and that doesn't make you feel any better. Oh, it it stayed with me all the way through through two master's degrees. Hmm. I... I felt terrible. I did not want to take math and didn't. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I got past all these college administrators, but I never finished a math class until I finished two master's degrees. Wow. <laughs> because that was one area I was not good in, and I didn't know why. Yeah. I didn't know why. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I can backtrack to the original question from Sarah was that um, – 
when you have an evaluation, you do understand why. Understand. Yeah, exactly. And that gives that child so much power to to know what what their strengths are. You know, yes, I struggle, but mm-hmm. um, but there are ways to accommodate that. And if having that label, some you know, they can use it or not. You know, like my my oldest decided he he was diagnosed on the spectrum. He decided not to be re-diagnosed, and he chose not to get accommodations in college. That was his mm-hmm. choice, though. Yeah. He had the ability to do that if he wanted right. um, and to give your kids those options if they feel like that's what they need. I, I feel with children who are over about the age of 10 or 11 that I want them to know mm-hmm. what has given them the learning problems that makes their brain work differently. And I'm going to pick back up on your label because I'm going to do a devil's advocate on you uh-huh. because you said when they have that label. And I've had so many parents resist evaluations because they don't want a child to have a label. But we're not looking for a label. We're looking for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And you understand that medically. I mean, once you have a diagnosis, that informs treatment. Mm -hmm. See, and I, I want the kids to know there's a reason, but I also want the parents to know it makes sense once you understand the diagnosis. It may be grieving. It may be hard. It may be sad. But you have the truth, and the truth can ultimately lead to knowing what to do. Yeah, so true. That's really good. Yep, yep. And, yeah, you're not in the dark anymore, guessing, or switching curriculum every (laughs) couple weeks because this doesn't work, too. You and I have both seen that. Oh, yes. It's not, you know, the curriculum does the best they can at guessing where an average child is going to be that they're designing their curriculum for. Um, There's other. That's not working. And and you have to give a curriculum a chance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I mean, I've seen both. I've seen, like you said, the moms who change. And honestly, sometimes it's an ADD mom who's doing all the changing because the ADD child is not doing (laughs) <laughs> whatever the curriculum wants them to do. Right, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of it, it, but, but there's that, that's what we talked about the last time in curriculum. It may just be that the curriculum is not a good fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to be able to make adjustments to the curriculum and how we teach it or how we pace it, mm-hmm. how much support we give. But um, yeah. sometimes it's not the kid. It's usually... About 99% of the time, it's not the parent who's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's a lack of fit in some other direction, and the diagnosis can really help with that. Yes, it, it definitely can. Yeah. yeah. So, so as parents, you know, they get, they maybe get a diagnosis, or they're they're sitting down and saying, "Okay, I got to write this document." What? How do they even start? Are there questions that they can ask to to kind of get a bearing of what do I need to write and how do I need to write it? Um, oh, my. Through that? Well, if we had a couple hours, I could, I could put it all together. <laughs> the good news is I have, an, I have a complete chapter on that in my book, and I also have a wonderful set of helps on my webpage. I actually went back and revisited it mm-hmm. yesterday. My son's been revamping my whole website, and awesome. there's almost a step-by-step through. But let's go to, to the picture number one on my slides that I gave you. Okay. Okay. So, in a sense, and can yeah. we let everybody know that if you're watching on YouTube, um, or if you go over to our YouTube channel, um, this a link to this document is shared there, so you can actually click on it, go to uh, 
Google Drive and actually download it. So, so that. And if you don't have time to do that right now, we're going to make them available for you after the, yeah, after it'll the, be the gathering. It'll continue to be there. Essentially, I want you to think of, of how to do, it's a kind of a basic what I call task analysis, only I want you to be objective about your child. And it means you need to break down the different skills and actually describe what are my child's strengths in this area and what are the key weaknesses. And and this is being specific. And, and this is where I think a lot of parents, like ones that I've worked with for many years, sometimes are very vague, you know, like she doesn't seem to comprehend. Hmm. Well, that's that's not very specific. It may be that she only can't draw conclusions or she doesn't see the big idea, or maybe she doesn't even know who the main characters are. Maybe she can't decode. So in reading, that would be some areas of weakness, but maybe some of her strengths are that she's a great listener for the stories and she can remember what she's listening to. So maybe you've just talked yourself into understanding that audio books are a good choice. Um, Writing, you want to know what are the child's strengths and what are the child's weaknesses. And on this one, I'm going to toss in a freebie because a lot of students who have trouble with writing are kids that have undiagnosed auditory processing problems. And they cannot put their thoughts into words. And this is Mm -hmm. just as likely to be true of students on the spectrum as well. Whether from mild to, well, I won't say it certainly isn't a problem for the nonverbal, but in many degrees on the spectrum, putting their thoughts into words can be a very hard thing to do orally, let alone to put it down in writing. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I've got lots and lots of specific strategies that you can try. But let's just pick a simple one. Let's just say your child has trouble keeping your letters on the line. Mm-hmm. All right, so how do we do that? There are specific ways that that would be a, an area of weakness but maybe they're using a wonderfully colorful vocabulary and they can illustrate what they're writing. And so as you scroll down this document, you would go through all the different areas of where your child has some strengths and where your child has weaknesses. Math, um, some students may have some specific behavioral issues. Um, They get frustrated, they melt down. Um, Let me give you a specific example over years that I've had working with students who have dyslexia. Um, one of the weaknesses that they have is oral reading. When they read out loud, they're using far more sections of the brain to get Mm -hmm. the decoding, to give them whole words, to get the whole words embedded in a sentence, to link the sentence into what they've just read, link that to what they already know with general knowledge, Mm. and somehow make sense out of it. And if they're decoding very slowly the sentence meanings just disappear. Right. Well, what happens when they've been doing that for five or 10 minutes, they just simply melt down. It would be like, I'm going to ask that child to do 50 sit-ups for me right now. And you and I can pretty much guess, or if you ask the mom to do it, right? They're, they're, it can't be done. But if you give them time to rest, and say, let's let's work on the arms a little bit, or we'll do something else, and then we'll go back to it. Then the child has a break. And so just be prepared for that as a reading issue where you're going to see meltdowns, but it's not a behavioral issue. Right. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. The second behavioral issue I want to address is not necessarily kids who have diagnosed 
you know, psychiatric issues or anything else. And that is, it's easier to not try than it is to try and know I'm going to fail. Mm-hmm. And because that attitude embeds itself into the child, they withdraw from trying. And what's the first thing they're going to hear? He's being lazy. He isn't trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. I know you can get it if you work harder. And so we pound on them to motivate them when, in fact, we're pushing them further and further away from thinking that they can try. Mm -hmm. If you see the child continually acting like, they can't do it. They don't want to do it. They're unable to do it. Mm-hmm. They may be protecting what little they have left of their self-esteem. Yeah. And I think I'm hearing some of that for a lot of kids that are doing this online instruction right now. Oh, yeah. They're melting down. They, yeah. they feel like, I, mm-hmm. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Anyway, all of these are just categories, and you may find that some of these motor skills may not be a problem for your child, or attention deficit may not be a problem. But when you're looking at a document like this, you're going to begin. I let me restate that. You're going to see some patterns emerge. Ah, yes. All right, and and when you begin to see the patterns, then you've given yourself something that you start to put together to weave into, all right, now I've got, oh my, I've got like six or seven really significant areas of weakness. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I seriously suggest that you don't try to make an SEP with more than six key areas yes. or you're going to wear yourself out. You may have a child who cannot feed himself, who cannot hold a pencil, you know, who cannot decode words, who cannot do math. But if you try to fix all of that in one year of education, you will melt him down and yourself as well. Mm-hmm. So I always tell parents, choose, my husband doesn't like this phrase, but you choose about five hills you're willing to die for. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a military term, but you get the idea. How hard do I really want to put most of my focus mm-hmm. And if those are the ones that I want to really be accountable for by the end of the school year, I may get a chance to help him learn to to hold a pencil by the end of the year. And I may be able to work on his Mm self-care. And I can weave those other things in sometimes. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to choose um, writing an SEP, this becomes the tool to help you kind of peel out the key areas of weakness. And if you've had them evaluated, you certainly want to include what the evaluator has picked out to give you additional basis for what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause there may be so that's the first step. Work on that they may see. Um, okay. Then let's see. Um, so we, we're about halfway through, so I'm going to take a break, let you look at your notes while I do our sponsor spot, Judy, and then I'll bring you back and we'll continue on with this. Does that sound good? <laughs> I'm right here. Okay. I'll get a sip of water and off you go. Okay. All right. Um, I just want to thank you all for staying with us and also thank our our sponsor, Verboso. Um, I'm going to pull up their logo here. It's up in the corner and um, just let you know a little bit about what they offer parents who are homeschooling children with specialized educational needs. Um, They ask, are you looking for tools to streamline your speech therapy? 
IEP management. Verbosa offers unique speech therapy solutions for families that puts you in control of reaching your child's speech goals. Verbosa's services include direct access to a certified speech language pathologist, speech recognition software customized to your child, and one-of-a-kind video games designed to improve speech. Data flows into your practice portal to make progress monitoring easy, and you can sign up for a free scanning at verboso.com, which also I have listed on our page or on the video right there. So um, definitely want you to check them out if you're, especially if you're looking for speech services for your child and maybe you're homeschooling and you want to do something virtual and um, your in-person isn't, isn't happening right now. So, um, so definitely check them out. They're one of our new um, partners here at Sped Homeschool and it's our partners and um, people like you that support our ongoing non- um, nonprofit work to to really empower parents to be able to homeschool children with specialized educational needs. So I'm going to bring Judy back, and we're going to continue our conversation about how to write an, a homeschool SEP. And Judy, you have shared so much good information already, um, and um, I, I just love how you broke all this down. And um, you know, I always tell tell people that you know when when we have some tool like this it gets our brain we, we it races because we have so many things and when we write it down and we're more concise then we can kind of see it in a much more um objective objective way exactly instead of like blaming ourselves or blaming our child and yeah. um and really not that that goes nowhere <laughs> <laughs> and you may have you may have a friend or somebody else that works with your child and if you're fortunate, you may have somebody else who can kind of say, but, but I see these strengths when he's at church or I see these strengths when he's in our class or PE mm-hmm. right. and, and incorporate the good stuff too. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know stuff's not an educational term, but you know right. what I mean. <laughs> exactly. So, so we have one question before we get started back on this. Um, yeah. And, and so Candace asks, my daughter has an IEP from December of 2019 when we pulled her home in February, 2020 after many months of diagnostics, I think we finally landed on a plan that works for her. At what point do you suggest drafting a new document for her SEP? Now, the end of year, or um, beginning of next year? I don't know, she, she just put question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got about a six part question here, and this is good. Um, if you had any plans to put the child back in public school, I'd hang on to that IEP. Oh, definitely, yes. Um, and we talked however, about that last week. In many, in many cases, um, you can also use the IEP as your baseline, if you will, like you see the COVID vaccine charts and so on, and we started here and now we're going there. Um, the IEP provides what the school considered a baseline for you. Mm-hmm. But if parts of that document are not working, then I see no reason to be bound to the goals that they've made. Um, and so in that respect, you can certainly annex your own goals for the child and, and form a, a modified, if you will, or a limited SEP. Part of it works and you like what they've done with her for math, but you think reading is not getting the attention it needs, then I would write some goals for reading. Um, it's it's not, um, none of it's concrete. It's, it's a very flexible document um, and you want to make it work for you and for the child. But uh, don't think of it as locking yourself in. Um, the one, the one thing I do like about school IEPs 
if they do give a pretty good job of giving you an evaluation of the child's strengths and weaknesses as they have seen her or as they have seen him. Um, On the other hand, I have seen too many IEPs from public schools that are nothing more than state standards of learning reworded with your child's name at the top. Mm -hmm. And those are not really individualized, um, especially in terms of special services. If your child really has significant speech needs and they're going to give small group therapy twice a week for 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. that's not not really adequate. But I wouldn't put that in the SCP. That would be further down the end toward um, special services and things like that. So, what so would start um, in like mid-year versus next year? I mean, should should she if she's well, you can certainly to to set goals now and to set them for the end of the year, or would you set them for like a year and a half out? You could do that, um, but the only thing I'd be concerned about is um, I don't want you can just kind of almost unschool, if you will, between now and the end of the year and let the IEP kind of be floating in the background rather than trying to die to create a whole new SEP for the year. Hmm. But I would be keeping track of how she's doing Hmm. and whether or not, you know, you think that the IEP has some goals that are worth transitioning over to your homeschool SEP. There's no really fixed version of it. it. It depends on what you think is working for you. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, and it all depends on what your state requires. I mean, if you have a state requirement, That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. if your state requires evidence of progress, you can't expect them to hold it against you that you follow their IEP. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, she's made progress. Now, I don't know what other states require, but I know in Virginia, all we need to do is submit evidence that the child has made progress. Mm-hmm. And it's adequate educational growth and progress. So if you have a child who's a Downs child, his growth and progress is going to be measured quite differently than you have, you know, a junior in high school who's taking academics, but he's struggling with a particular math class or something. Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, I think you want to try and kind of find your way and you may just want to practice writing an SCP for the rest of the year to get, Mm -hmm. to get the feel of it and to, to get into the groove of it. But, but don't feel locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that's helpful. If not, post another question and we'll, we'll bat it back again. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Now, I want to show on the next document really briefly. Yeah. Uh, that's number two, if you can get that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is a, um, a copy which is on my website, um, and it's printable. Um, it's basically a sample goals page, and you can see at the top, of course, you have the name of the student and the goal in this area, the instructional area. It could be a skills area. It could be the child's going to learn to dress himself. It could be the child's going to complete fifth grade math. Um, you know, it could be mathematics. It could be a number of things. Um, but the little the little hangers at the bottom are probably almost not big enough for your readers um, at this point, um, Peggy, but it's essentially... When you, when you write an SEP, you have an annual goal, which is where you want them at the end of the school year. And if that starts in January, fine. If it starts in September, that's fine. If you go year-round, that's fine. But, but what are you expecting them to be able to do by the end of the year? If you've got a child who's significantly behind grade level, let's say he's 12 years old and he's reading at the second grade level, 
It would not be realistic to say, I want my child to be reading at the sixth grade level in June. So what's an appropriate goal that you would feel you could live with and you could work him forward toward reaching? So you have to kind of have that worksheet of what the weaknesses are, but you also have to think about how am I going to get him to reach that annual goal? Same thing when you're taking a journey, as Peggy mentioned at the beginning. If I'm going out to Rocky Mountain National Park, Step number one is not going to be pull in to Rocky Mountain National Park and set up my tent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just isn't. So how am I going to get there? Well, first we're going to get everything in the car. We're going to get it packed, and we have to decide how many nights we're going to spend on the road. So you're, you're going to try and, again, as I use that term, task analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do this in my workshops. I would ask parents, I want you to take something that you're used to doing, whether it's make a peanut butter sandwich or whether it's a long division problem, and I want you to list every single step it takes to do that. Think about it. Think about it. How many skills do you need to have to do a single long division problem with one divisor and two digits under the division sign? A lot. And there's a lot of things to do. Well, you can't possibly write a short term goal for every single one of those as an objective. But you get the idea that that you have to break the long-term annual goal into at least bite-sized pieces so you don't choke on it. Right. Then you have to decide how often you're going to evaluate the child. In some cases, you may need to check in daily. Hmm. Um, on other cases, it may be a monthly kind of thing. Um, I just got a new parakeet. Okay. And... Um, it's two years old and it was in a house with very active four boys, very active, very, very active boys. (laughs) And so I'm I'm trying to calm parakeet down somewhat before I get work on. But my, my short term goal is to get him to come on my finger. Hmm. I'm starting with just putting my hand in the cage and saying, come up and get on my finger. So that would be short term goal. Number one. Uh Now, Later, I'm going to work that he can get on my finger and I'm going to get him to come out and maybe get on my shoulder. Hmm. That's goal number two. But my annual goal is to have a parakeet that I can play with and who will not be afraid to come to me and go back in his cage without flying into a window. Uh, yes. So it's, it's a goal. Mm-hmm. So how often am I going to check that? Well, for him, I'm going to be checking about once an hour right now. I try to show up at his cage almost every hour. Um, What am I going to do? Well, in some cases, we ask the child an oral question for an evaluation procedure. In other cases, it's a weekly test. In other cases, it's a behavior. We may ask the child just to, um, I'm trying to think of one that's a simple thing, Um, to button his own buttons. That's for a child who's significantly lacking like a Downs child. Can he can he put his own shirt on without help? Hmm. Um, and, and that wants to be something I can see him do. And that's that's very important when you're when you're setting goals. You want to have something right. that will what you can see. Um, I used to have. Unfortunately, it, it did not endear me to my public school friends, but. My, my issue was they would write goals like the child will appreciate literature. Oh, now, yeah, how do how you measure that? that? Right. How do you measure that? Mm-hmm. So it has to be something that you can, can see the child do, or if your mother came in and looked at you 
teaching the child, you could see that your mother could see that the child had learned how to do it. Eventually, my kids will come to the house and hopefully see my parakeet on my shoulder by the end of next year. I'm, I'm trying to pace it out. Um, so it's it's a process. Um, again, I say it's a marathon, but but you're writing what we call short-term goals for each of your mm-hmm. five or six annual goals. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is a form, and it just gives you something to work on. So let's move on to the next one if oh, we yeah. can. One- question and I wanted to answer right. this quick because they were just asking if this tool is going to be available for download and I yes. see that they're watching on the YouTube channel so it's already there the link mm-hmm. is in the in the description so so yes it's also it's also on my website yes. and um, I have the tool there on my website and there are blank masters in my book okay yep so there are lots of different ways you can get a copy of this and we'll make sure we get all of those links to you so that you can find We'll make them all available. And her, yep, and her resources. Okay, Good question. So, so um, here we get into the meat of it, okay? And I'm going to try not to kill you with too much detail, but um, <laughs> if you have, we're going to assume you've got five or six key areas that you've identified, mm-hmm. okay? And maybe just pick one in your mind as you're listening to me go through that. On what grade level or skill level do you expect the child, and this has to be realistically, can be by the end of the year? As I mentioned, you don't think a 10-year-old at the second grade reading level is going to be at grade level by June. Um, And for children who are not working on academic work, they still need need goals. So for your child, um, it may be able to... um, get the food in his mouth with a fork by the end of the year. And at the beginning of the year, you may start out just needing him to hold the fork. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a, it's, it's a graduated process, but, but what's realistic, whether it's functional job related grade level academic. The thing that was really stressed to me in my, in my master's degree program is that goals are no good unless you use action verbs. I want my child to be able to write. I want my child to be able to say. I want my child to read aloud. And you may want to qualify that. I may want my child to read aloud fluently or read stopping for every period. I've, I've had students who don't stop for periods. Um, and in the book, I, I, will, I don't do this in my book, but I had um, a favorite Victor Borga TV comedy, and when he would read, it was the, um, I forget what he called the routine, but it was something to do, something punctuation, and when he would come to a comma, he would come to a period, and by doing these little motions, I would ask my students to do it, and by day two, they never missed the periods again. It was just, it was funny for them, but it drew attention to something without taking them off course. So you may find that that's part of what you want them to do is to read aloud complete sentences and with meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I just talked to a very good friend who is a very solid math teacher, and she is the testing lady, Sarah Olbrus. You may know her. Yeah. Um, if you haven't had her on as a guest, she would be an excellent addition for you. Yes. Um, she does a lot of testing in other parts of the country as well as here in Virginia and North Carolina. But we were talking about counting and developing for math a child. She said his, her grandson is just now getting the idea of pointing 
to the number and going one. But if he counts one, two, three, four, five, by the time he's four years old, um, that would be realistic. That would be something she could count on. But not if he can, when I ask him how many, and all he does is say one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> has he really mastered counting right. or not? So it's it's a little tricky there, but um, just think of action verbs. What do you want the child to be able to do? And again, reviewing, let's take a look further down the page. What's in a mastery level? Yeah. You have to describe what you're looking for. For example, four out of five times when I give my child a number fact chart, can he answer every one or can he get 80% right? Or if I ask my child to go upstairs and put his socks on the bed, will he do it every time he's asked? Or will he only do it one out of five times? And maybe that's a great start. Um, for some other children, it can be he can do something without assistance. Okay? So that we can just, you get the idea. It's, it's what are you looking to see that he can do so you can say, yeah, he's mastered that. He's got that. Um Assessing, um, please don't be afraid of the word test. I've talked to moms who say they never, ever, ever test their children. Hmm. Um, I have a concern. My personal response is, how do you know how they're doing? Right. I, I want something objective. So there are many, many, many options. These are, these are just a sample of Standardized testing, online assessments are now a big portion of what kids are dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, spelling tests, you can use those. If your child is consistently having issues with spelling tests, there are multiple ways that I put in my book that you can improve that. Maybe the list is too long. Maybe there are too many different unrelated word families. There, maybe they spell orally. Um, here's an example. When I was when I was working with students in middle school back in the public school days long ago, my moms would come in and say they got all the words right on the way to school. I drilled them over and over, and she had every word right as we were practicing in the car, and she failed her spelling test. And I said, here's the key, Mom. You were drilling her orally, and I was asking her to write them down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't. So you have to see how you're testing. Right. Um, there are lots of things you can ask kids to do to show mastery, giving speeches and art and music. And you, you've got the idea outside the book. Um, right. And then, of course, the standard, we use a textbook and the child takes the textbook. Mm -hmm. What if the page never gets finished? What's what's a good accommodation if the page never gets finished? Well, cut the page in half. <laughs> exactly. What if it's messy? draw lines and make columns for him, mm -hmm. enlarge it. The, so just because it's in the textbook at a certain font size doesn't mean you have to do it the way it looks. Mm -hmm. So here I have this little um, kind of what I call a template, and, and it helps you to write your annual goals. My child will be able to, what's your action word, mm -hmm. write five sentences at a fifth grade level, or maybe I don't even want to use a grade level mm -hmm. with 80% success. And you can skip some of this. Maybe, maybe in some respects it's redundant in number of trials by June 15th. 
And that's my annual goal. So some of this, you can play with it, but you get the idea. It's what I want them to do and what I'm looking for by mastery and what the date is that I want them to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, nice. Measurable. Pretty straightforward. It's yeah. measurable. That's, mm-hmm. that's the key thing with SCPs. You want to have something that is measurable. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any more questions? Because I don't want to keep on. No, not, not yet. No. Okay, then we'll skip quick to the last one. Um, If your child needs any special services, and there are lots of issues here with, you know, getting insurance to pay. Some people need to go through the public school. Mm -hmm. Um, But for many students um, who have special needs, they do want that. and, And you're going to want that in the student's special education plan, if for no other reason than to document it. And accommodations and modifications are a two-hour workshop that I give, so I can't possibly come up with all of that. We, we have articles on our website, and I know you have information in your book yeah. as well. So. so scoot down to the bottom right here at the bottom of this page, um, and then just answer the question of how you want your child to be measured at the end of the year. Pop up just a little. There we go. You do have options of using portfolio in many states. And I have seen I have seen the most outstanding portfolios where the parent writes a narrative, but then there are photographs of the child doing it and photographs of the child's work. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be fancy. Other parents like what they call a lap book. That's mm-hmm. another option that shows what they've learned. Exactly. Um, a lot of students don't do well in groups, so test them one on one. You can have a standardized test, which is a little different. The one on one evaluation may be you said the child can do X, Y, and Z, and you just see that they can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a mom with a child who was extremely hyperactive and autistic, and he would not perform for me. She just couldn't get him to calm down. So I said, all right, I'm a fly on the wall, and you show me what he can do. Mm -hmm. And it worked, because then she could say, I could see him doing this. Mm -hmm. She said he can count. She'd have him count. I could see he could do it. So that's an option where you have a really extreme kind of one-on-one. Right. And then you have group testing, whether mm-hmm. you have a group with a cat test or um, an Iowa or whatever. Right. All right. So we have two pages on my website with um, examples of the plans as well as the how to do it. Um, and it's really very detailed. Um, if you want just copies of these four pages, besides what Peggy's got uploaded, um, you can certainly yeah, you know, go there. I'll put those as hyperlinks in the description on YouTube as well. So if people can just click on them instead. All of right. That's good to, to do that. But it is in the document you can down that we have for you to download too. So those you can just click on there as well. Sure. So, so that cool. that's pretty much the, the reader's digest version of <laughs> writing an SCP. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, that, that's, such good information. I, I think for a lot of parents, they're just very apprehensive because it seems like such a daunting task to um, to go at. But but like you talked about at the beginning, if you don't have a plan, you don't know exactly where you're going either. And how do you know when you got there? Or if you, you know, it's it's. Um, <laughs> you don't know when you've lost your way. Right. Exactly. And um, then you get to the end and you go, how did we get here? Um, yeah. And that's not where you want to be. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, to have a plan 
and and again like you were talking about too all that history that documentation that um oh yeah well yeah. just it you just don't know if you're you're gonna need it or not um but it's better than i i i just remember being a consultant um when i worked for the texas homeschool coalition and mache um both and parents just saying i need documentation and they hadn't created any so then they tried to backtrack and it's impossible it really is oh, yeah. impossible so is. um so just yeah want you to definitely dive into judy's resources and so so your website and i'm going to pull that up and tell people other than what you referenced on there other things that they can find it's helpinschool.net mm -hmm. we have um my son has just been upgrading my website and so uh, it's changed a little bit. Let me see if I can bring it up and I'll read you some things from that page. I don't have it right in front of my eyes right now because he's been working on it. Mm. Um, okay. We have a number of different topics. Um, one of the ones that I, I am most proud of is that there are um, learning strategies, a lot of different learning strategies. We have um, whole specific articles on reading and spelling, what are some options for testing, choosing textbooks and curriculum, um, adaptations, and then the student education plan. And then in addition, there's what um, I have had in there for years, which is a resource page, which is hundreds, I mean, literally hundreds of special education-related web links, awesome. articles, newsletters from every topic, alphabetically from autism, dyslexia, technology is a huge, huge player these days. Mm -hmm. um, just like you mentioned with your sponsor, they have so much to offer just that one particular small field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to add your sponsor because I don't think I've heard of it. So I want to put that one on my website. So I'll make sure I get that one on there. So um, the website is, is extremely user-friendly. It's not super technical um, because I wanted it to be available as something that a non-teacher-educated parent who's teaching can, can take and use. Right. Exactly. That, that's all that I'm about is, is educating and equipping parents. That's awesome. So your book is also on there. I'm going to hold mm -hmm. it up. Um, but you can find a link on Judy's website to purchase this. And you can get it on Amazon and primarily. Yep. Um, get it in two days if you have Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. And you're not in Texas where you were snowed in. And, and there's, a, there's, there's a Kindle version. The Kindle version is, is uh, very affordable. I think it's under $10. The only difference with the Kindle version is you don't have all the pages in the back that you can Xerox, like this example of a blank SEP oh, document. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I've heard from parents that they have a little trouble getting the Kindle pages to be reproducible. Right. Okay. So if you want those reproducible pages, they're all in the back. Okay. And again, the title, if you're listening on the podcast, is Teaching a Child with Special Needs at Home and at School. And so um, definitely look that up on Amazon or Judy's website. So... Um, well, thank you so much, Judy. We have filled the hour. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. I, I didn't. I, I, I was I was pretty sure we were going to because <laughs> you have such a wealth yeah. of information. But thank you so much for all that you shared and just the support that you've given parents over the years. And um, 
you, you definitely um, are proof that, you know, parents can teach their kids at home. And oh, yeah, they, they absolutely. Absolutely. Plan, like you had said. <laughs> yeah. But just to be encouraged to do it. I mean, who knows the child better? Who knows the child best? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for having me and uh, giving me a chance to, to give parents one more tool that I think will be really helpful for them. I think so too. I've enjoyed it. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it was awesome having you back. And I also want to thank Verboso for um, sponsoring this episode of Empowering Homeschool Conversations. We are for for your partnership with um, Sped Homeschool. We've got a couple comments, thank yous, and um, will this book help me create a plan for severely disabled autistic um, looking for functional academics? Um, I, I believe so. Is that correct, Judy? I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you were saying. Say again. Um, there was one more question that um, asking about your book, and they were asking if the um, it would help them create a plan for a severely disabled autistic son looking for functional academics. There isn't too much on functional information. We will give some information in the chapters on language and comprehension because I've devoted some sections on it. And there, there are some things that specifically look at kids on the spectrum. But the, the functional um, goals, I'm, I'm working on trying to get, I have a book that is no longer in print um, that's, that's something I need to get back up on and be available. But it was written about 1976 by a, by a mom who had a child who's severely multiply disabled. And she put together one of the best, best ever books on functional goals for kids on the, um, anybody who's, who's really lacking. Judy's got a new project. <laughs> and so I'm working on trying to see if I can get that to be available. I've talked to the parent who wrote it and she's not interested in republishing it. So I'm going to ask her whether I can get that out there. Mm -hmm. um, but start looking at what you're doing with him during the day and convert that into educational goals because that's how that mom started. Okay. Putting toothpaste on a toothbrush, picking up a fork, Mm -hmm. um, buttoning his own shirt. So think about what you're doing with him and turn that into goals for the, for the end of the year, where you want him to be. That's good advice. I, I wish I had more on that because the resource I was offering people for a long time is now no longer available for me mm -hmm. to offer. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel well, like well, part of my arms cut off. Next week, we may have some answers for you. Um, Wendy Dawson and Brandy Timmons are going to be joining us. Then they are from Social Motion Skills, which helps students who are on the spectrum with different um, life skills, functional skills. Um, and we're going to be talking about transition planning for. That's a great idea. And so, um, so you may get some really good information from them. Um, they, because that is like their field of work. So, so definitely join us next week. And that, so that's what we're going to be talking about next Tuesday night from 8 to 9 Central. And um, so, so, yeah, so join us then. And um, thank you, all of you, for joining us. Thank you again, Judy. And um, we'll see you all again next week right here on Empowering Homeschool Conversations. Good night, everyone. Good night, Peggy. Good night. <laughs> Life Audio presents Bridges with Monica Schmelter. That we have an enduring hope that can't be taken away when we are in Christ. And to know that we have that, right? 
and eternal salvation because this world can be so busy and so dark that we can forget that, right? Right? Because sometimes I get caught in the trappings of what's going on in my life this moment. And while I have to recognize that, that's not it. Continue listening on lifeaudio.com or wherever you find your podcast.